Hoody ho! Hello there, ladies and gents. We are back with episode 48. Uh, this is with my friend Angela, and she's fantastic. Uh, so fantastic, in fact, this became a two-hour podcast, not intentionally. But uh, yeah, she's got a great story, and we really do have a very important conversation or in conversations in the, in this episode, and uh, so yeah, I'm just gonna just jump right into it. Just thanks, guys. Love you all. Thanks for the support, and uh, see you in the next one. All right, guys, we are back with another episode. Um, again, it seems like it's the same theme. I keep finding people that are just amazing, and they're online, and you know, on Facebook mainly or Instagram, and um, I'm always trying to find different disabilities, and this one. We kind of, as I told her off air, we've kind of been floating around each other, um, kind of meaning to bump into each other, and I just kind of did an episode on her condition, and, you know, we just kind of started talking, and we're both podcasters, and so it kind of really worked out, and it was kind of an obvious fit. Uh, so this is my new friend, Angela, and no, not the same Angela as I interviewed before. <laughs> hey guys <laughs> thanks cj for such a warm welcome yeah i think you hit the jackpot when when you found me uh i could because like i was telling you i have crps not a w- very much so like your last guest and it is a super super rare condition and it's even more rare to have it in four limbs and so i am not certain how you manage that but uh, to me, somehow you hit you hit the CRPS jackpot, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that's not necessarily a good thing. It's like when I did the episode on homelessness, like I was talking about how people, like it's the one community you don't want to add to, and the community is getting bigger, and that's not some like usually it's like oh the you know so and so community got bigger. Well, you don't want to say that in the homeless community. That's not a good thing. And it's like yeah, hitting the jackpot and finding you know the ultimate uh, one of your condition is really not a great thing, but you know, of course I'm happy you're around. And, um, so obviously this, that episode already came out and this episode will come out probably like two months later. So for the people who right. forgot what your condition stands for, uh, yeah. What does it stand for? Hmm. Certainly. Yeah. It's called complex regional pain syndrome. It's a neurological disorder. There, so there's this, the best way to explain it is Imagine every pain, type of pain you've ever had, whether it's been electrical. I mean, the probably recently the very worst one I had was uh, what felt like metal bone scraping. Um, and I, I don't know that I could explain it any better than that. And I hope that gives you the chills and makes you want to cringe because it was absolutely miserable. And also things like people writing with a pencil on paper will trigger pain in me so it's like an auditory so the body doesn't really know and there's some sort of confusion throughout the nervous system and when that happens like i have to look at my hands physically my hands are deformed actually they're physically deformed from this disease my skin is like paper my nails are either super hard and uh, to clip through or they're paper thin. It just depends on what's happening that day. I have super horrible temperature regulation. So if it's cold outside, I tend to be cold. My skin tends to turn 
more bluish than than red. If it's warm outside, I tend to swell more. I'm sorry, if it's yeah, if it's warm outside, my hand tends to turn warm and swell more often. Um, it just so there's no telling. It's super unpredictable. When I first was diagnosed with it, my hand would swell up like a club hand and then it would swell back down. I was literally, I was working in the medical field. I was studying uh, to be in psychology and I was fascinated. It was fascinating. I couldn't believe that my body was doing this and it made no sense. So what we've learned is that because the body doesn't know what's happening, it, it, it kind of, it thinks there's still a problem and it's trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist. So it's like, it's like having a hyper vigilant body. If you've ever think about it as like, you're not sure if you lock the door and you're really stressed out or something. So you check it five bazillion times. Right, Our body's doing that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, and then it's also in my legs, but not as prominent. It hasn't deformed my legs in the way it's deformed my hands. Right. So why don't you, let's talk more about just like the beginning of it, because, you know, like I said, uh, that's what the condition is. So what, what was it like, you know, what were you like before you started getting symptoms and then obviously gradually get into, uh, you know, what some of this, like, what were your, you know, obviously your mental state and, and what were the symptoms that you started to, to see in the beginning? So I, gosh, at the time, everything, I was doing pretty darn well. Um, you know, like I, I didn't have, I, I think in my, I was going through my divorce, but nothing big was going on at the time for that. Like things had kind of quieted down because it took a long time for that, for that to, to iron itself out. Um, so things were calm and, you know, nothing's going on. I was plugging along, doing whatever. And I was literally sitting at my desk typing. That was it sharp pain bruising and I you know I said ow and it's like why I don't know why typing would hurt right <laughs> but, but uh so, yeah so there's this trigger that that triggered we don't I still to this day don't know what happened on the inside and yet you know um because I was working in a medical facility at the time uh I went across the way and asked one of the PAs and he noticed that he did this, I don't know, it was like a, he ran his finger up my arm or something. I was like, oh my gosh, that feels electrical. He's like, oh, it sounds like something neurological is going on. So um, I had to go to the doctor, you know, had to go to the uh, occupational health or whatever it was called at the time. And uh, they, they splinted me up and you know, we really had hoped it was just going to be something like carpal tunnel that could mostly be fixed. But it was not. So let's see. The other part was you wanted to know my mental. So well, how old were you, by the way, when this started? Mid thirties. Okay. Two kids. Uh, after it happened, I was actually pretty good. You know, the interesting thing was is I was the, still the top performer at work with one hand. You know, and working in a call center in a medical facility that was that to me was an accomplishment. I took pride in that. Yeah. And, you know, I pro the, but it only took, I want to say a week or two and my right hand started going bad. 
and they're like, well, you need to slow down, calm down, you know, take more breaks. Okay. You know, and it just continued to get worse. So at the end of two months, they said, we're sorry, you can't perform your full job duty. We're letting you go. Wow. It was devastating. Yeah, I bet. And I cried. And and I couldn't believe they were even providing this news to me in the middle of the day, expecting me to complete the day when basically it felt like I was being told, you have no value and you need to go. Right. I mean, so you essentially had your whole life together. I mean, I guess obviously a divorce, but you had children and you have a job and, you know, you're living your life as yeah. you know, whatever you want to call it, a normal was, person or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And just out of the blue. Yeah, going to school. Yeah, going to school. And so you're constantly trying to better yeah. yourself and live a life that most people either dream of or, you know, are, are striving for and you're living it. And then all of a sudden your body just starts going haywire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was devastating. When did you finally get diagnosed? I think actually it was fairly quick and within that two month period. Uh, we, especially especially in, in my left arm, in my right arm, I don't remember how long it took because the hope was it was just overuse and that overuse would not turn into the CRPS. But now both of my hands are, are deformed and um, makes it really, you know, so I've got to have a caregiver to help uh, and things like that. How is your... My, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I used to walk a lot to help deal with the anxiety and the depression. And, you know, because with with a neurological disorder that significantly impacts the capacity to do things, what happens, I mean, it's not surprising that depression sets in. Uh, For me, anxiety set in, insomnia set in. There was, um, and every once in a while, the thoughts of uh, suicidal ideation still creep in because, and I think it's, because it's really hard in this world without having physical capacity to do so and feeling like I'm not valuable and like I can't give back that makes it really hard to even want to be in this world. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. I guess we were talking a little bit at off air, but also just, you know, I've talked about it so many times. There's, there's even when we have, even when we have good days, I think there's, I mean, I don't know how it varies for you, but you know, there's days where I'm having really bad eye days and I sit and dream and I'm like, man, if I could just have a good eye day, I, I, I promise I'll function well. I'll, I'll, I'll be more productive and I'll do this and I'll do that. And then I have a good eye day and my mental health is just like, nope, we're going to cripple you today in a different way. You're this and you're that. And it's like, I can't fucking win. <laughs> like, um, and I try, and again, obviously we talked about like what we do, you know, it's very humbling and it's great. And it's what I, you know, I, I get a lot of pride and joy from doing this and that helps, but, 
you know, again, there's there's times where it's just it's hard to come out of the the darkness, and and sometimes you just stay there, and and the only way out is just to kind of sleep it off or find something that can distract you. Right, and I think too, finding the a way to be dynamic and and not hard on myself for the days I can't do or I'm not capable of doing and recognizing because so from from living in the capable world if you will because it feels like I I still there's a before and after right it doesn't feel like those worlds have merged at all (laughs) um you know it it was you know just work hard enough just do this you know there's all these steps or you know as soon as you find a fix, you know, I'll never forget somebody asking me if I felt guilty about this happiness. And I, and I, I said, yes. And the reason I said yes is because I thought I was supposed to find the cure that maybe that's why I had it. So I was investigating and I couldn't, and there was, we tried everything. So when somebody comes up to someone with a disability, it is so not helpful to say, just pray hard enough. Maybe you don't believe enough that you're going to be cured. I know you can be cured. Or let me tell you, I had a vision. You're going to be cured. Maybe you don't believe it. You know, like they, it, it, this message. Let me tell you this. If I didn't have to have a disability, I wouldn't. Because it has made my life so much harder. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't even wish it on my worst enemy or people that I believe hate me because it's so it's, it's that hard. It's, it's literally, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have words that I can put to that, but you know, like it actually is. And it, I believe in some ways it has been extremely helpful when I go to those places of, if only I could find this, then I'll be happy. Because I think with a disability, it's been, become extremely important for me to find joy in what I do have right now. Yeah. So if I could get out of bed today and I can sit and enjoy a conversation, I'm going to be grateful that I could get out of bed today and sit and enjoy a conversation. Because when I start looking to what I don't have or what I can't do and expecting my body to be different than it is, that's when I start getting into even worse trouble than I'm already in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, I've been starting to say that I have three jobs now. I have the job that pays the bills, I have my podcast, which is kind of the future. And then the third job is just living because I put so much into trying to bettering myself, especially mentally. And I've, I'm fighting every day, and I'm, I'm constantly like I'm, I'm always exhausted after I get home. And it's not just because I mean I do a physical job, but I'm worn out even when I sleep. Like I, I may sleep, you know, six, seven, eight hours, and get up, eat, and bullshit for two, three hours, and I'm tired again because I'm mentally in my head so much, and I'm constantly trying to. Obviously, the podcast stresses me out because I'm trying to do so so much good and try to make changes and. You know, I'm just trying to do put some good energy into this world, um, and so just living itself is is so time consuming because I'm I'm 
constantly thinking and I'm and some it's not all bad thinking. There's a lot of good thinking, but the good thinking there's not as many answers for. Um so a lot of times living just well, and I, yeah, feels like a job. So it sounds like to me what you're saying is even though you get a decent amount of sleep and you're working and you're you're able to work and and then you come home, it's you didn't you don't have the same amount of energy that you you had before. Or that I should have, yeah. It's Okay, yeah. okay, right. Yeah, That's hard. Yeah. Because mental health beats you down. Like it just does. It, it it takes so much out of you because you're constantly battling and thinking and you're, you're stressing out and it, it wears your body down. Um, yeah. And, and it's, I never say this to be like, I don't know, dark or anything like that. But I, I say like, look, I don't know. Like I, I joke one time saying like, I don't know if I'll even make it to, to 50. And they're, they're like, why? I'm like, because I, I think the stress may just kill me. Like I, I mentally, I think I could fight through anything. I'm a very mentally tough person. I mean, yes, my depression breaks me down and I lay around, I'm sad and I do this, but I can still get out of bed and I can still fight and I can still do this podcast and I can still do a lot of things that are inspiring, but I don't know how much my body can take of the stress because I'm always achy and I'm always having pains and all these different things. And it's like, that's why I work on myself all the time. I'm trying to be a better person and not that I'm a bad person, but I'm trying to be better for me, not for anyone else. Because like I said, mentally, like I'm exhausted and I, I beat the shit out of myself. And, and a lot of it is very unfair. Um, yeah. You know, and, that, and that, that's, you know, real, I think that's normal with a disability. Yeah. That's why, you know, what you were saying, you know, hits close to home because it's like, you know, it, it's it's frustrating and a lot of people don't understand what we go through. And look, a lot of people, I think everyone has mental health. It's just, you know, the average person has a much smaller amount of it. But in general, like, it's things that we don't want to talk about until someone suits up a school or does something, you know, completely irrational and stupid. But, you know, the depression that we go through is, is crippling and you may be crippled and still be crippled in a totally other way. Uh, mentally, like, I, I mean, the, the worst days for me are not the physical. I can take all the physical pain you throw at me, but mentally is the stuff that just keeps me from getting out of bed and, and keeps me from actually making progress in my life. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. No, we don't have to sit here and talk about me. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, yeah. But like I said, as far as your mental health. Just, yeah. yeah, no, that was just making me think, you know, I think that with a disability, I've definitely spent more time on that cliff, if you will, yeah. of, of wonder. Right. And not always good wonder. Yeah. And you can't, you can't yeah. avoid all that. It's like you have that, that, the reason why, you know, like the last episode, like the reason why I talked about suicide or and talked about all the inner demons and all that's because if you, if we don't talk about it, it stays hidden. And then it's like this thing that doesn't really exist. This, you know, even though it's right there, we all know it's there. We all think horrible things, whether it's about ourselves. Um, you know, we, you were talking about something you set off air just about, you know, you had this one bad thought and it's like, wow, I really thought that way. Like, really? And it's like, you know, like, yeah, we think horrible things sometimes. Sometimes we come down to a certain level that we never would come down to. And that's why I talked about, like, there was a time where I just would see a girl that I think would never want me. And I go, you know, I want to rape just because I'm I'm that insecure at that point. And I'm that, you know, I don't have those thoughts really anymore. But, 
I still have the thoughts of wanting to kill myself or, or whatever. And it's like those thoughts creep in because it's just, you know, all the rejection and all the horrible things that happen to you in life. It's like you want to kind of get your revenge in a way, but you don't, mm -hmm. your revenge can't be to hurt others. Your revenge needs to be to uplift others. And, and, you know, as corny as that sounds, but that's really what you need to do because I mean, I can tell from what you were saying earlier, like, you know, you, you kind of thrive in helping others. Uh, even though you're a person that needs help yourself. Um, and we all need some Yeah, help. so, uh, yeah, I've got a, a, a really interesting story that actually happened last year. Okay. Uh, in October, my, the care, so early in March of last year, I right before I think the pandemic happened, I had to change caregiving companies. And, in a, so, and the manager of that company subsequently went out on leave in that October when she went out on leave what happened and I had to have another caregiver come step in for my regular caregivers that company that although the manager had already approved it came in and said by the way you cannot have your kids in the car when the caregiver's driving I can't drive my hands don't work if we go for a walk, I have to have someone bring a wheelchair or on good days, a um, trifold chair so that I can take breaks, right? So I absolutely have to have help. And they, in effect, crippled me even more so, right? And I literally felt, I was traumatized. And I felt belittled because I said, okay, well, you know, what if I need help? getting a cobweb that I want to get but I can't get and they're like I'm sorry you need to call a housekeeper so then I started thinking about like how many different places I would have to call right first I'd have to have a housekeeper then I'd have to have like a handyman then I'd have to have you know like um I, I can't remember how long the list went when we were brainstorming but I was thinking okay so I literally have someone here that's capable that's just sitting and waiting and you're telling that you're telling me and them no. And they literally, most of them want to help me. They see me as a human. Well, come to find out, CMS guidelines, Centers for Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid Services, specifically state that you can, like they can do light housekeeping, they can feed me, they can bathe me, they can help clothe me, they can make my bed, things like that. And that's it. So, Basically, I'm treated like a thing at that point. Right. They, there's, and, and I was so dumbfounded because I had never had a caregiving company treat me like a thing before. And it was so devastating. And I went, this is wrong. This is so not okay. This is a human right. And I was just, you know, we're not going to help, help, you know, we won't even help you make a casserole. Mind you, I'd never asked them to do things without me with my children. I just needed help in certain tasks because right, right. they are my children and I take pride in having children. They're, you know, they're, they're in my home. They're not, it's not the caregiver's job to parent the kids. In fact, I had conversations with them that let them know, I get it. If you don't agree with my parenting style, still not your job. Don't worry about it. You know, and, and, and you know, it, I never even thought of turning it over to them. 
because it was my job. In fact, it was the one part of me that was I still felt like was mine. So then when this company said, oh, we're going to basically cripple you more, it was devastating. Yeah. And uh, so I... I started doing the research. I learned about the CMS guidelines and they were clearly using them as a minimum instead, I mean, as a maximum instead of a minimum and not seeing me as a human. And, uh, so I started, we came up with a, a letter that explained the situation that we could email off to a bunch of different lawmakers and disability rights places and things like that. And that's when I met um, Aaron Bishop over at the APA, who actually responded and validated where what was happening and said, this is actually a really big problem uh, and appointed me to the Rocking the Cradle Report on the National Council for Disabilities website, which I can tell you my mouth drops more often than than you can imagine mm. as to how many people lose children. Mind you, I didn't ask for this disability. Yeah. I don't, I, if I had a choice, I wouldn't have it. And now had, I mean, had, had this happened non COVID times and even just a couple years before now, I probably, because of how my, my ex is, I probably would have lost my kids. Yeah. You know, mind you, I've solved the problem for myself, but what about the people who can't solve it for themselves? So then what I did is we started a, a website called Damaged Parents. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I used to love writing, right? That was one of the my favorite things to do. I thought, okay, yeah, I can blog. Not clearly thinking because sometimes, it's like I just wanted to be who I used to be and capable like I used to be. And I didn't think about it. So at the end of the day, well, not that day, but a few days later, I realized my my problem because, <laughs> you know, it didn't happen the same day. Yeah, I didn't. And it's not like I could I could I was writing or anything. It's just I didn't do anything that day. It was just the idea of what I was going to do. And a few days later, I go to attempt to dictate and I'm. I'm like, oh, this is a problem because I'm talking to, to my old coach in softball who had uh, polio as a kid. And, and I'm realizing I can't take notes. I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. So I'm doing my best to remember everything he's telling me. And, and then I have to put it into, you know, dictate it into a document. And, you know, I, of course, I had forgotten things. I'm like, okay, this is clearly, clearly not going to work. I, it's just not going to work. And uh, I thought, well, what else? Okay, podcast, you know, and then uh, brainstormed with a few people and came up with relatively damaged because at that point, I had realized that even when I was capable as a parent, or at least what society uses capable, I never 100% felt capable as a parent. I was always searching and trying to do the best thing I could do. I mean, there were many times I felt like a failure. You know, the child screaming at the grocery store. They don't want to do what you need them to do when you need them to do it. But you've got a time frame you're working in. And so realizing that that side of me and realizing the disabled side of me and realize that well, well, darn it, I was I was damaged before. 
I had a disability. (laughs) (laughs) So um, aren't we all relatively damaged? Because somebody told me 50% of the people you meet are struggling or have been struggling in some way. And I'm going to say it's closer to 100%. If not 100%, we have all been there or will be there at a point in time where we're wondering if we're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a question. Oh, I have a three part question. Uh, how old are your kids? Um, do they help and do they understand what you go through? Oh yeah. They're teenagers. Um, so they were, when did I, 16, I think when I got it. So one of them doesn't really remember me not having difficulty with my hands. Um, the other one is spicy uh, and she's always been an extremely good helper. And it, I am so glad I have had caregivers because it has allowed I think a healthier family dynamic from a mental health perspective then because it's not like they're not my on my team they're totally on my team and they they will help me and as a single mom without the use of my hands without the caregivers the kids as young as they were before would not you know as they grew they just just wouldn't have been appropriate to ask them you know to help shower me and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I don't, I really don't know the answer to this question is, uh, when you first got your condition, um, is, and did you think your condition, uh, was hereditary? Did you think you could pass it on to your children and can you? I don't know if I had that thought when I first got it. um, I think one of the kids actually did a research in elementary school uh, or junior high. They investigated the CRPS from a genetic perspective. And I think what they decided was that there was, there was one kind or something that could be passed along. I don't know that much about it as far as genetics go. I understand the other side. Yeah. But my focus wasn't on on that so much as I just wanted to get better and I wanted to understand it. Right, right. Um, so how, how rare is the condition? Like less than 1%, I want to say, of people. Yeah. And even less uh, have it mirror to the other side of the body or go diagonal. So that you have actually met two people with, pretty much full body CRVS is extremely rare. Have you been able to meet others like you? Nope. I mean, yes, but not like me with full body, right? I've, I've met people at uh, clinics that I participated in, right? right? To, to functional capacity clinics to try and help figure out how to be. Right. So with a neurological pain condition, it's really important to 
pace. So I have to be really careful about how much I do or don't do. Uh, not really so much don't do, but well, no, that's not true because if I don't do, then the pain, because it's really important with pain for me to do my physical therapy each day, even when it's on my worst days, because if I don't move, it actually gets worse the next time I move. It's really important to keep trying to move, mm -hmm. right? Um, which goes against what our brain is telling us because, you know, you break your leg and you think, oh, I can't, don't move my leg and needs to heal or, you you know, you can hold it stiff. Uh, in, with CRPS, I, like for me, I would go into, I hold, I tend to hold my, especially my arms closer to my body in protective mode and it's really hard and I've had to work a lot to not do that. And it actually becomes like a conscious, conscious effort to not do that. Right. What's, what's the functionality like in, in your leg? You said you have a little bit of a problem, but what, uh, yeah. In my legs? Yeah. Your, your legs. So I, I can't walk very far. Um, <clears throat> sensations bother me. Um, I can feel the vibration, like in a car, I can feel the vibration and it's, it's painful. I don't like it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, like when I'm getting help being showered, we don't scrub down, you know, down below my legs or, you know, we don't go above my, like the aren't use your armpits as a line because the touch is, is so painful that I just don't even want to try. Wow. Yeah. Um, so do, what do you, do you use a wheelchair? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to be out for a while, my, um, I've got a wheelchair that, you know, if somebody wants to go, like one of my oldest daughters loves to shop and she loves to put around, well, I'm going to take the wheelchair usually over the trifold chair for that. Just because if it's a long period of time, then walking, sitting and taking a break is when she's, you know, moving around the store or, or mall or whatever, isn't as helpful as having the wheelchair with me. So it just depends on, on how I'm doing. But I've also learned like sitting, sitting and hanging my feet down is very hard so i have to be able to put my feet up on something in order to feel comfortable and gosh the best way i could explain it with with my feet normally so if you're sitting normal with your legs and you're in a chair you know and your legs are hanging down it almost feels and i know it's not what's happening and yet it's still what it feels like right that it feels like fluid is rushing in and and there's this pressure that I can't get rid of and almost like an electrical sensation. Um, I'm trying to think of the words because I don't describe it very much. Oh, it makes sense to me. So you have it to basically be, be in a recliner. Needles. Yeah. Um, a recliner or at least in a chair where I can get my feet, like at least I want to say at least six or eight inches off the floor. Yeah. Uh, they just can't be hanging straight down. Right, right. 
it doesn't make logical sense to me. I couldn't explain it medically. I couldn't, you know, I just know that that's what I have to do. And so I try to set myself up in situations where I do that. Now, if there's not something, then what someone would probably see me doing in public is, is, you know, like kicking my legs up, like I'm doing an exercise or something. And I'll just hold my feet up for a little bit. So I can get that pressure to go away and then put my, put my feet back down. And then they usually aren't like straight down. It's usually kind of out at an angle, right. you uh, know, like you're extending your legs. Right, right, right. Um, like you're relaxing or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's amazing how we have to kind of, we somehow find ways to make light of what we go through. And it's like, most people, I think when I do it, people just think like, oh my God, it's so dark. I feel terrible. I'm like, no, like that's just kind of how I get through life, man. Like I can't dwell on it all day long. I mean, I know it's there, but it's like, yeah. what do you want me to do? Like it becomes second nature. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many benefits to, okay, a lot of people might get really mad at me for saying this, right? There are so many benefits to having a disability when it comes to creativity. And I think the, the world and society doesn't realize that because, for instance, um, my old coach, he invented things. Did he? I don't know that he shared them with the world, but he invented special ramps to get into the car. And, you know, he was able to drive. My, one of his hands was deformed and his leg, but he found he was able to find a way. So I think there's like this hidden gem of ability in a community called disabled, which to me means non-abled or non-operable because, you know, uh, like we had talked about earlier, when, when you turn off an alarm to a home, you're disabling the alarm. When your computer is disabled, it literally doesn't work. So I, I think there's this implicit bias that, you know, we don't, think about that isn't thought about which of course is why it's implicit right because implicit means that i it's not something i recognize or know that i'm doing right Mm -hmm. and so there's all this crossover where whether i want to acknowledge it or not because i'm in some ways you know it's like in the community the disabled community we need to be proud that we have this disability and rightfully so it has taught us so much we've learned we've grown we've you know things we didn't realize that we needed to learn we learned and we grew some more right and and we forget that there's this this whole group of people who maybe they want to help and yet when we call ourselves non-operable how can we not expect that they're not going to have this discrimination towards us and believe literally and truly believe that we're not operable and it's not because they're consciously doing it i think it's a subconscious thing yeah yeah pretty much just to kind of spell on what you were saying is that you know we're kind of forced to think outside the box like if we don't like we can't live how normal people live the world's not made for us to live that way so we have to constantly right. find other ways to survive and to, uh, you know, because there's things I do in my life where it's like I have my Mac. When I go to it, it's zoomed out, but I hit control and I pinch my fingers in and I zoom in. And that's just how I do it. And it's very close. And to most people, 
people who have seen it, it's like, well, how do you do it? That I was like, look, I don't even notice I do the, the control pinch thing anymore. I just do. It's just a command that just happens as normal because that's how I live my life. Like I, you know, there's times where once in a while I'll kind of forget. And I'll just try to sit in the couch and watch TV. And I'm like, oh, you're such a dumbass. Like you have to get closer. You know this. And <laughs> And I have fun with it and, and in general, but like I can sit in front of the TV and be fine. Like my face isn't against the screen, but like I can see that I'm sitting in my recliner, recliner's right in front of the TV stand and I'm just sitting there and I'm watching. And, but that's how I live my life. Yes. It's not comfortable for most people, but it's like, I have to figure that I had to figure out what computer would work for me. I had to figure out, you know, you know, I don't use a uh, voiceover or anything, but I use certain zoom features on my phone and all that. And it's like, I just made everything acclimated to my lifestyle and and that's just if you don't like i said then you might as well not live because the, the world's not gonna give you there's no one's gonna give you any handouts and no one's just gonna make right. anything no one's not out i mean people are making cool things for us and so on but you gotta go look for it um yeah and again like, well you know, here's I mean, a really great example so for instance i'm i'm we'll just say i'm sitting in the kitchen and i noticed if the caregiver's doing something, I don't know, maybe they're unloading the dishwasher. And instead of there, if they, if they do it one way, they can actually do the task by only touching the item one time. If they do it another way, they've got to touch it two or three times before it gets put away. And, and so I can, I can see that because I'm thinking about, you know, how do I, I, because of, early on in my disability I had to streamline I have even now if I want to to touch anything I've got to figure out how I can do it with the least amount of of damage to myself so if for instance I think if somebody were to say hey can can you come help us streamline I mean I, I probably wouldn't be able to sit there all day and watch everything but it would be probably a lot simpler easier for me to see it than maybe someone who's more capable because the amount of touches doesn't matter so much to them because they're able to touch it as many times as they want and it doesn't hurt them all right yeah no, that makes sense um yeah like I'm, I'm always like so fascinated about by like all the things that other people with disabilities do um, like I interviewed someone who had a traumatic brain injury, which ironically is the other person named Angela. And she, um, you know, she has a way of, you know, her one, her right side is paralyzed. And so to, mm -hmm. she want, but she still wants to cook. She still wants to clean. She still wants to do things. And to order to cook cheese or cook cheese, cut cheese, she has like a, a specific board where it's just like, I got to remember how it is, but like it, it essentially she can still cut cheese. It just, it, it keeps it still. There's a little mechanism on that yeah. keeps the thing still. And all she has to do with the one, with her one hand is just push down on it and it cuts. Um, or she had something like uh, she can still drive and how she does it is that because she, she can't really use her right leg. So she has like a pedal that she presses with her left leg and that pedal pushes down the right leg and that's how it stops. Like there's all these little things and it's like, mm -hmm. it, I'm so fascinated by it because it, to me, it's so amazing of, of the things that people come up with to either us that creates it or people that, you know, or whatever, people like us, whatever, that try to come up with these ways to making our lives better. And it's like, you know, I, I always love and, and, you know, appreciate all the things that everyone 
does outside the, you know, thinks outside the box to make their life better. Um, well, and it's not just better. It helps me feel like I'm part getting to experience, have it, have a, this human experience too. Right? right. So I want to participate. It's actually when you go to the doctors and you're in those functional programs and things like that, they, it, they tell you, we want you to try. It's actually really good for your mental health to try. We want you to do as much as you possibly can. It's important. And it's important to feel like you're human. I, the struggle is important. Right? Right, right. Of course. It's, it's important. Yeah. Um, this is a question that I, I mean no harm by asking, but, you know, uh, it's something I've felt over the years. But you would probably feel this more than I would. How do you, just in life, like how do you not feel like a, a burden to people because I've, I've felt it many times where people had to take care of me and so on. But you literally have caregivers. Um, and again, like what you were saying, you have these ways of making yourself basically feel normal and live your life and feel better about it. But I'm sure there's a period of time that went through your mind like, man, I'm just here for people to take care of me and I can't do anything. So how do you how do you beat that mindset? Yeah, so my caregivers are my team they're on my team right we have to uh build a a level a certain level of trust because they help with so much i mean they literally are my hands for me Mm. and i wouldn't be able to do the podcast without them because of all the 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 computer stuff that although i'm sitting right here they're pushing the buttons right and and so it took a long time when I first had to have caregivers, luckily my very first caregiver was, uh, she was amazing. And, you know, I showed, she had this special way of holding the blanket that went at the foot of the bed in a way that if I needed it, I could pull it up. It was like in a, uh, kind of like an accordion, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so she helped me kind of look around for ways to make things easier for me in the home in fact uh like my clothes they don't go into drawers they go into one of those square uh, um, shelving unit things you know with the squares i can't remember what they're called <laughs> um so but as far as receiving the gift of someone giving is really hard and like I understand and get it with my caregivers. It doesn't change though. Like when I have to ask someone new or, you know, maybe the caregiver's not here and I need to find help from my church or my friends, then it's, I still feel like a burden. So I can't say that I am totally over that mm-hmm. because I don't think I am and I'm not certain I ever will be having the caregiver, it's almost like I've been given permission to be a whole human and because they're here to help me be and do what I want to do. Whereas when I go and ask someone else, I feel like I'm asking them to take time out of their life to come over here and with the caregiver, it's their job. Does that make sense? I know it's a weird perspective. There's certain, there's certain lingo and language that we kind of all can pick up on because I, 
yeah, I don't have a caregiver, but I mean, I get it. Like, there's, yeah, like I said, that we, we live our lives. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like this idea that because they're here to help me and that's their job, I don't, I'm not a burden because it's their job. Whereas with other people, I might still feel like a burden, even though I know, okay, because I was, I used, I was always the person. I would go help my friend with MS in a wheelchair. I would, and I love baking cookies for her and with her, right? Um, I would have my other friends that needed help. I loved it. I loved giving that gift. It felt so good inside of me. And, and so I tend to forget, and I think it's really easy to forget that receiving is also a gift. If those people weren't there and didn't need my help, I would not have ever been able to give. So I try to remember that asking for help is giving a gift. Yeah, it is. And in reality, and I see it, and I understand it logically, and it's still really hard to to do it. Yeah. yeah I mean, they kind of show you how to give. I mean, it's, you can just mm-hmm. sit back and watch, and it's like, wow, like these people not only do it for a living, but they, they're open. You know, that's what they want to do. They want to give. You don't, you know, they didn't sign up. To you know, again, you, you don't hope not. I mean, of course, there's bad people in every field, but well, you know, I don't know. Some caregivers, I'm just gonna say it. Some caregivers get into this job thinking that they they really it's not their calling, and I can tell those caregivers. Yeah. Um. You know, if if you are someone listening to this podcast and you need a caregiver, please remember it is. You get to decide who comes into your home. And when people bring unhealthy behaviors and belittle you or treat you in a way that is not appropriate, you can say no. Sometimes the price is you won't have a caregiver for the rest of the day and that company will struggle in finding someone. That's their job. And if they can't fulfill your needs, then they can, then you need, then find another caregiving company because no one deserves to not be a human and no one deserves for someone to bring in their dysfunction into your home you know i or gossip you know maybe i've had caregivers go outside on their phone and they've gossiped to their friends or family about what's happening in my home that is not appropriate i've had people come in and i've learned they've told me about you know how there's abuse in their home well you need to get some help and and you know i i don't want you talking around the kids with about stuff like that because of their stuff right like so remember you are human and you deserve someone who wants to love and care for you just as much as someone else does take pride in that you deserve it um yeah exactly um so it's like okay so now you know we're now both in the same field we both do podcasting uh what do you think it's a I don't know. What do you think it's about people who that are whatever the bottom of the bottom broken? Like they're the people that are just, they're going through the worst. They're dealing with so much mental health and, and, you know, in our, in our case, our bodies are messed up and so on and so on. What is it about the people that are like probably hurting the most and are going through some of the worst situations, but are the ones that want to help the most? Okay, so I think I understand your question. So how is it that the people struggling 
what who seem to be struggling the most want to help the world the most is that yeah, what yeah. you're trying to ask yeah yeah um cuz you, you I, if you look at your situation like you should probably only I mean, again um, from the outside you should just be like well I should need to just take care of me and my kids like forget the message forget what I go like what other people think of me and you know, helping others like it's great that you do and you're brave and it's amazing and you can you should continue to do it but from the outside like the average person would probably just look at you and like why don't you just focus on you and your kids who cares like you know like, why, <laughs> right why do you, you want to help people like you know you're, right because like my my oldest daughter would say you know you're more miserable when you do too much so cut it out right, right like right, i don't yeah. she doesn't want to pay the price and so I think what it is, is I've always had this belief that this, that this world is a fantastic place. And that, you know, if I see something that's not working well, it's my job to say something. So, but, okay, there is an experiment by Stanley Milgram, and he, it's, it's the shock experiment. I believe there's a, the show is called The Experimenter, it's actually a movie. And in this movie, um, he basically, he was trying to figure out why the Nazis did what they did. Why did people follow through on these horrendous instructions to hurt other people? And what he found out in this experiment is it it was because he really thought in America he would get different answers than than what what happened in in Germany. And what happened, he set up the experiment. These people were supposed to be, they thought they were shocking someone who was in another room, which they had met and been told the guy had a heart condition and everything. And there was somebody who was running the experiment sitting in the back of the room in a white coat, right? So that just says, okay, I have some power. I'm going to sit here and watch you do this experiment. These people, 90% of the time, continued to shock up to 400 and something volts for the simple reason that they were said that they were told you need to do your what yeah he got the answer wrong you need to shock him like very simple instruction i it was a very small percentage of people that said no that's not right and i think that because that percentage is so small that I have to say something because most people either don't find enough value in themselves or can't, right? It's scary. It is scary saying something. It's scary saying this isn't working. And, and, and then the concern for what the consequences might be of that, right? Yeah. It's so small though. It's so small. So those of us with a voice that are willing to use our voice, I feel obligated and I feel like I have to really, I get to, I am lucky enough to get to use my voice to help other people when they can't help themselves. And hopefully they'll get strong enough to use their voice until then I'm going to keep using mine to the best of my ability. And hopefully what they'll find out is it's okay. And yeah, it'll be scary the first time you use your voice, and it will get easier. Yeah. No, I, I honestly, there's, I kind of stress out about it because I feel like I have a lot of weight on my shoulder. I feel like I'm speaking for, even if they don't know I'm speaking for them or they don't want me to, like, I feel like I'm speaking for so many people 
And, you know, I want us to do better in life. Like, I mean, we don't even get just people in movies and shows that aren't disabled, but they play disabled people. Like we don't even, we don't get any fair share in anything. And it's like, I just want, we know life will never be totally fair because it's not fair for anyone, but you know, I, I just want us to do better and I want us to just fight because I always have said that I feel like when one of us gives up and that's whatever committing suicide or just, just stop doing whatever positive thing you're doing because they just, they didn't get anything out of it. They didn't see results. I feel like when we lose one of us, it's like gaining 10 because there's so few of us actually, you know, you know, trying to break the barriers and actually show how amazing we are. that when we actually lose one of us, it's like, shit, like that, that's really significant. Um, it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, just something I was thinking about while you were saying that is that, you know, in, as far as speaking for people, you know, I think that what's really important is to, for me especially, is to let everyone know, I don't know that I have the right answers. I, I don't know. I have ideas. Yeah. And I just, I, if I can at least come to the table with ideas, and we can realize that we're all on the same team, then maybe we can accomplish something. Yeah. Just maybe. Right. And I'm okay with that. We, I just want to try. Yeah. Well, and stuff like this, like collaborating and getting to know each other and becoming friends and, you know, and, and knowing that there's other people out there that are fighting with you because like I said, I can't do this without you and, and you can't do it without me. And I can't do it without nope. all the other people out there and neither can you. And, and, and so, and they can't do it without us and, and all that. And it's like, we have to, because like I said, there's too many of us that are doing nothing. Um, and when I mean, yeah. not, not, even just, yeah, not even just nothing, yeah, as in like not, you know, living their life, they may be doing, they may be living their lives, but they're not, they're not speaking and they're not, you know, well, letting them know. And they may. Right. And they may also be doing all they're capable of doing right now. So if that's all they're capable of right now, I want to, that's okay. And if you see something and you don't have a voice, let us know. We're trying to use our voices. Let us help you get that message out because we, that's something we can do because we're willing and we're capable to use our voice. Yeah, because there's people I've had on, and it's like they're not really, they're doing their own thing in their lives, and they're, they're maybe doing little intricate things in their life with disabilities, but they're not really speaking out too much. But the fact that they're like, well, I'll share my story to you, and then if you want to get it out there, and maybe that helps, and so on, like, yeah, because it's like, the reality is, like, I may interview, you know, I'm interviewing you. There's people that may not give a shit what I say on this podcast. They may not even even relate to your disability, but it's like the fact that you're just a woman, and you're a woman who's also a parent and who's also struggling. Like it may not have any, it may just be some small little thing they took from the podcast, but if it helped that one woman or whoever, it's like, fine. Like it doesn't always have to be the exact message that we're putting out. It's like, if you help people, that's good enough. Um, and I'm yeah. not, I'm not greedy with it. Like, I don't care if people, you know, like, are more about like if they take something from another guest and it's like, you know, like, yeah, you're cool. You're a good host. But I, that person really hit me. That's fine. Because I, like I said, I'm one person, I'm one disability, not even one disability. I'm one specific eye condition 
out of all the many eye conditions. You know, I'm also a male. I'm all, like, there's a lot of things that people relate to, to other people or other races or whatever. So it's like, that's fine. But if we don't stick together, we're never going to make any change. We can cry about it and bitch yeah. and all we want about it, but we need to, and I keep saying, I want to bridge the gap to all the disabilities because I cannot do this without the deaf community. I cannot do this without, you know, amputees or paraplegics or, you know, dwarfism or whatever. Um, you know, we need all of them to work together because like I said, we're all amazing. We all do awesome things. And, you know, that's why I, you know, I always say fuck limitations because people are always constantly telling us what our limitations are, but they know nothing about our lives and they don't know what we can and cannot do. And they don't let us figure it out for ourselves. And then a lot of times we either figure it out or the other half, which is what we normally do is a lot of us just fall you know, trapped to that and say, Oh, I guess I can't do that. I guess I can't. You but know. I think you're also speaking from experience too. I bet there's a point in time you did that, right? Yeah, you, yeah. you, you just, yeah. I mean, cause I did it too. Right. So it's not that it's wrong. It's that sometimes we go there and we can't. Right. Like I know I cannot yeah. drive. I've come to terms with that. Am I happy about right. it? No, but I know if I get into a car Yes, I may be able to get a block away or so, and I may be able to fake it for a minute. But even if I, my grandma's two miles away, I know how to get there on foot. I've done it. But let's just say somehow, I, let's say I drive 20 miles an hour and I get there and so on. That's fine. But it's still the idea that I could still hit a car or a car, a kid. Obviously, I could hit a car. I could hit a cat, whatever. Anything that would be devastating to me, I would not want to do that. I'm putting a lot of people at risk beyond myself. Um, and it's just, yeah. it's just something I, I cannot do and I'm okay with it because I know there's so many other things I can do and I just don't allow people to tell me no anymore because like I said, I, and again, if it's something I feel like I cannot do, you don't, you don't fight every battle. There's some battles that aren't worth fighting, but in general, like, you know, like even where I work, like there's a lot of people with vision problems and it's like, I constantly push back, not because I'm an asshole and I don't like, uh, authority, you know, some authority is stupid because there's always these dumb rules for certain things. But in general, I only speak up for the right things because I don't care about, I never, you never hear me fight about extra pay or, or these things, even if they're legitimate arguments. I always fight about mainly the group of people with disabilities and the people that what, what we deserve and, and the things that when you tell me that, you know, you're telling me that I can't do this because you don't feel that if you had my eyesight, you could do it, but you don't know my eyesight. And two, because you're that insecure and you don't know how to do it or you feel that you couldn't do it because there's people I've seen do things blindfolded and they're like, well, a blind person couldn't do this because I have a blindfold on and I can't do it. And it's like, yeah, but you have the realization of being able to take that blindfold off and the light comes in. There's a lot of people that don't have that realization and you're telling them they can't do something because you're, you're weak minded. And it's like, yeah. yeah, you know what you're reminding me of though? Oh, and I think this is, this is really <laughs> important is. It's really important. It, you know, a lot of us want to surround ourselves with cheerleaders, right? And yeah, that's important when it comes to encouraging you. But it's also important is to have critics that challenge you. So yeah. when you're challenging people, it's not that you're not being a thoughtful critic. And I think that's the difference. You know, yes, there are critics who are just mean, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to being a thoughtful critic, it's wondering, have you thought that through? Because I hear you re- talking about a job and I hear you rethinking how something might be able to be done. And you're saying you get pushback and that pushback, you know, 
is important yeah. for all of us yeah. you, because it, it helps all of us check what our thought process is and if it makes sense. Yeah. And that's actually really important when it comes to rethinking and being creative in this world. It really is. So kudos to you. Thank you for being some a thoughtful critic. I I'm grateful to to have you in my life. I know that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I've said this. I've I've had other jobs, and I I was the only disabled person in the building, and I was fine with that. I really was. It is what it is. And now working with other people with disabilities. I found it so much harder. Now, again, it also helped me to bring my voice out because I was not a leader. I was a per- I wouldn't say I was a follower, but maybe in high school I was, but that's just high school because you're just trying to find friends. <clears throat> but I found my voice through it because I saw that we were all treated as the same person, not the same worker, not the same. Now we had totally different lives. It's just we so happen to have the same problem, which is our eye condition. Even our, our, our depth perception is all different and some of us are blind, some of us have visions, whatever. But when they were all putting us in the same category as the same person, paying us the same and all that, it didn't matter how who was the better worker or any of that. It was we were treated the same. We were segregated from the sighted people and treated different. And it's like, okay, this is absolutely wrong. I'd rather be the one bum at the bottom of the company who so happily has a vision problem with all the other bums and we all can complain about our bosses and so on. I'm just the one with the eye problem, but it's like I'm still kind of the bum is kind of the thing that supersedes the the vision problem. Whereas in this company, I am half of the company and I am the other people. And I saw how they were treating. And again, I'll be honest, some of them I don't even like, but I fight for them because if I don't, I can't pick and choose who I fight for. I can't pick and choose just the ones I like. And I don't just do it for the people that have vision problems. I don't just do it for whoever. I do it for everyone who has disabilities because it's it's wrong. Like, it's it's just something that's wrong. And, you know, it, it, look, I put my job at risk and I don't want to lose my... I mean, I want to get rid of this job and I want the podcast to take off and it's slowly becoming something. But until it doesn't, you know, as someone said, it's your investor. They invest into your podcast. So you look at it that way. And it's like, yeah, I don't love my job, mm-hmm. but you know what, like it pays the bills and they did give me a job and I'm thankful for that. But there's a lot of shit that I don't like about it because again, we are, we are the other people and it breaks my heart. It, it breaks my heart to how we're treated in general. It breaks my heart that 76% of us are unemployed. Like it's all terrible, but we are also part of the problem because there's a lot of people that work there that have fallen to their trap of, Oh, you know, you can't go anywhere else. No one else will want you. And you know, you need us type of thing. Um, and it's like, I don't okay, know. that right there reminds me of like what you find on domestic violence websites and red flags is what to look for. Yeah, kind of. So yeah. it's a very rocky relationship. Um, no, they it, don't beat us. I will say that they don't beat us. Uh, right. No, but you know, domestic violence includes that emotional thing. Right, right, right. And, 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 you know, that's another thing I think with disability that, becomes a a huge problem because okay so even me I wonder my value right Mm -hmm. so then if I go somewhere and someone's saying yeah you don't have any value but I'm already questioning my value what am I going to believe so it becomes a super slippery slope in that it because if I'm already feeling deep down then how am I going to go get something new if 
I wonder if I have value. And I've already been told many times I don't have value. When it's when in fact it's not true. It's yeah. what's happening in my head though, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and I think it. I don't. I don't think it matters. Blind, deaf, cerebral palsy, nope. pain. You know, it doesn't matter the disability. Anytime in any relationship, when behavior like that happens, yeah. it becomes super hard to walk away yeah. because you don't think you're important. And the fact of the matter is, you're human, and you're deserving of the full human experience, and you do have value. Right. And there probably is a, a job out there. It's just for us with disabilities, they're few and far between because of our limitations. And so, how can we? show employers that we actually have something of value to offer and how can we teach them how to find those things in their company so that we can benefit them because there's a huge benefit to the way we see the world and it's very different yeah. from a capable person I think yeah we're way more we're, we really are the people that are more about equality and, and, and you know togetherness and all that it's just no one asks us. We're never, we're always the ones pick last, if you will. Like, you know, we're playing basketball. Oh, we'll pick that kid last. Like we're the ones, no one wants to know what our opinions are. Um, and, and like, honestly, like I said, I think as much as the frustrations that I have with what we call the sighted people, uh, or the able bodies, they, they are frustrating. They are, they created all the rules they did. They made everything work for them and so on. But, it's us that really bugs me the most because it's they fall for it so much and they and they really and some of them are actually like oh I'll, I rat, I'll tell on some of you get you in trouble for certain things you do so that maybe I'll get my pat on the head and they'll like me more and that kind of shit and again that happens mm -hmm. in every company that's not just disabled thing but when you have when it's so different and you have these two groups and it's like we are different but that's okay different is fine but it's like it, it, we don't support each other because I've, I've, I've gotten a, a decent position out of the job I'm in. And some people looked at it like, oh, well, he's he's not been here as long as he. Why does he get the job? It's, it's like, look, I fought for it. I went to the boss and said, look, you're not going to lay me off again. I want another position. If not, I'm leaving. I don't I, I'll find a way. It'll be hard. But and he respected that and gave me a better job. And. Yeah. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, look, because they're always complaining, they're always unhappy. And I'm like, look, if you guys want to not work tomorrow and you want to go sit out there and you want to fight, I'm with you. But I am not putting my job in my apartment on the line because it's just going to be me out there fighting for all of you. And you guys aren't going to say a thing because I've done it way too many times. And I've been the one in the room screaming my head off and saying this is not right. And then you all are just cheering under your breaths and you're not, you, when they leave the room, you're like, oh, that was great. And yet, yet I'm the crazy person. I'm the lunatic. I'm the one that looks like I am a, you know, I'm off the hinges, but yet all, I, all it is yeah. is passion and I love and care and just want to help you all, but I need your help. And you leave me hanging. It, it doesn't help our cause. It just makes it look like they control you. And I'm the wacky, you know, like I said, hothead. Um, yeah. and so that's, that's where I find the biggest problem. And I back to, you know, what we were, what we do, we're, we're podcasters. Well, our audience should be the disabled community. Well, getting disabled people to support us is impossible because we are a hard community to reach because we, we, we feel like 
we have ideas, but then we never bring them to the table. And maybe we say we have ideas, but we don't. But, but if someone else figures out our problems and actually support, you know, is pushing for us to do better, they don't want to support it because it wasn't their idea. And it's like, look, man, I am not doing this for just me. This is literally for every person I've never met. This isn't just for people with disabilities. Again, I've covered race. I've covered homelessness. I've covered addiction. I've never done a drug in my life. It's, it's because I know what it's like to go through a struggle and I know what it's like to be shit all over and treated poorly, uh, by, you know, people who even supposedly care about me and and just life in general. It's like, uh, I know I'm ranting, but it's like, I, I give a shit. That's why I do this. I don't have to, I could do a podcast just on sports or something else, or I could do a podcast on just visually impaired shit. I don't have to care about the deaf or your condition or anyone else. It's because I give a shit about the whole community and I want us to do better. And I want us to be seen as, you know, the superhero type people we are. But I cannot do it by just yelling all the time and, and, you know, constantly telling you guys, like, we need to support each other. I say it a million times, but if we don't, we are doomed. We have no shot as as a whole. Maybe individuals, we yeah. may, but as a whole. You have to reach out. You yeah. know, I've got the website Damaged Parents. There is a contact form on there. If if anyone has an idea or they see something that they they need help, I mean, I don't know everyone everywhere. You know, I don't have a lot, a tremendous amount of knowledge. But it, again, like like TJ saying, if we can get together, if we can cooperate, or if we can even just support each other, let's do it. Yeah. Let's make this happen. We're value. We're human, just as much as as an able-bodied person. If there are able-bodied people listening, I know, without a doubt, that you know, and it, that as as we all get older, regardless, there will be a disability at some point. Hopefully, you get to that point where you have a disability, because if you don't, that means you probably died quickly, right? So, yeah. what what I'm saying is eventually we all end up in this population and if how we're being treated now is not a way you want to be treated when you get older maybe maybe something needs to change and we could really use your help too yeah because we you, want you on our team you see we're it in this, these different all groups together. you see in these different groups where it's like okay you know you're fighting for black lives matter but then they they don't want to support the transgender movement or, or whatever. Like you see all these different groups and then there's people that are ostracized from the group because they don't, they're not like them, but even though they are like them, it's just one thing is different. And it's like, that's the thing. Like Mm. it's the same thing in our community. Like if we don't support the deaf and the blind and the blah, blah, blah. And if we don't reach out to the gay community and you know, animals rights and like we, we need to actually help each other. Like we do need able bodies. We just don't need, them to me in some cases, but we don't need them to save our lives. We need to speak up and do our own thing, but we also need to, you know, like I said, join with all the other groups, the ones that are legitimate and, and help each other. Because again, you know, the things that, that the government is afraid of, they don't want white and black people together. You know why? Because we're actually a strong unit. And then, then they actually have to make change. You know, if disabled people, again, if 1.6 billion people in the world actually say no, or however many people that speak out, even if it's whatever, 100 million, whatever, a million, a million disabled people say no, they have to listen. Will they make changes? I don't know. But we have a better chance of a million of us or a thousand of us speaking up together 
than we do as individuals sporadically all over the internet, you know, putting our message out there. So like by you and me yeah. and, and the people you've inter interviewed and the people I've interviewed, like little by little, you, you start to build a little group, but again, 10 people isn't going to make change. It can start something, it light something, but it's probably going to blow out again, hopefully not. But again, like I said, we need yeah. each other. We, we cannot, yeah, we, we can't just say, Oh, everyone, but that group or everyone, but that no, everyone it's, it's, yeah, it's not going to happen unless we do. We have to have an open mind because how the hell can we need, how do we not have an open mind when we expect everyone else to have an open mind with us? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we want people to accept us. Yeah, we want people to accept us. But, you know, there's a guy at work who he doesn't have a vision problem, but he has a hearing problem and he gets frustrated because he works with people with vision problems and they're not accepting his hearing loss. And it's like, dude, I, I feel terrible for you. I get it because it's like, the, the the bullshit that that is like you, you they should treat you the same but they feel like your problem is not as bad as theirs because you can see uh perfectly but it's like no man like his problem is just as bad as yours you just you don't know what he goes through um yeah so yeah it's so like i said that's that's why these type of things these kind of joining together and then getting to know each other and then just telling our stories and um you know like i said it, it, it helps to know that you're not alone um because that's one of the biggest problems and you're constantly trying to go through life. So you're not alone. And, um, when you're, you know, and that's true, I think for any person on this planet right. that it's harder to go through it when you feel alone, no matter what the struggle. Yeah. I would love a good and, woman in my life, know, but I don't have one. So, um, but I have some good friends. <laughs> I have, a you know, I have a good grandma and I have a, you know, I have some good people and a good mom and good people in my life. Uh, and they help me get through it. You know, obviously yeah. you're, you're helping me get through another day just by doing the podcast and meeting another person and getting to know your story. And, um, well, and sometimes you've got to find your support tribe, right. Yeah. And, and know who that is. Yeah. Find those people and, and know who they are. You know, again, it's not like, you have to have a you have to have a critic, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's important to have thoughtful critics. And at the same time, we all need our support drive. We all need our cheering section to keep moving forward. We need to feel safe before we can, you know, step out and and say something. So find that group. Find people who support you and find safe people. It's important. Right. I guess it's hard for some of us to, to support, excuse me, to support some of each other because it's like, well, I need support. Well, who's going to support me? Who's going to help me? And it's like, well, if you help me, I'll help you. Like, that's the thing. We just got to, you know, you know, corny cheese. We got all hold hands and, and kumbaya. We all got to, we got we to gotta stick together and actually, um, you know, bring our messages together and we feed off each other. And like I said, like you said, we don't, you may not have all the ideas. I don't have all the ideas. I'm winging this half the time. I'm really going into this, like what this is evolving into. This wasn't what it started as. And now it's evolving into something else. And it's like, that's because that's how life is. And you, you put yourself out there. And if I didn't do this podcast, there's so many opportunities that have come from this podcast that I would have never been involved with if I didn't open my mouth and say what I've been saying. Um, 
And so, and then, and like I said, over the time I've found other podcasters and other, uh, other, you know, entrepreneurs in the disabled community and I support them. Um, not just by having them on, but also, you know, giving them a listen or whatever, because I know it means something to them. Um, yeah, especially early on. Yeah, so how it long, really does. How long have you been doing your podcast? Uh, well, since January. <laughs> oh shit! You're that new. Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm Brit. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. How many episodes yeah. so far? You do like. Let's one see. Week? We're twenty. Let's see. Well, so yeah, we're. Hang on. I can. I. I know the the answer to this question. It's uh twenty something episodes. If we just had, we started uh, releasing two a week. Oh, two a week. Uh, yeah. So 15 out. 15 episodes out. Or on the, you can listen to 15 episodes right now. Okay. The very first episode is uh, my very first interview ever. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I, we posted it for posterity. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've definitely evolved as an interviewer over the time. I've heard my first one before, and it was like, I mean, it was okay, but it was like, I was just kind of, I mean, luckily it was a person I knew, so if it was a stranger, it probably would have been very would have been difficult. Um, yeah. But uh, so, before we go, like, what what is your podcast about? So, it, it really focuses on the belief that we are all relatively damaged, right? Um, that Every single one of us, I mean, just to think of the different people I've had on, I've, I've had, uh, you know, a sister, daughter, and caregiver. I've had a gal who was a financial planner and, it, you know, um, she suffered from debilitating depression to the point she couldn't get out of bed. I've had a narcolept on uh, where when emotions get too strong, she starts to fall asleep, like literally. So if she's in the grocery store and there's a mom upset with her kids or whatever, you know, she might start feeling those strong emotions and could start to fall asleep, which it could be dangerous. So she has to readjust herself there. Um, I had a woman who married a narcissist. I had a gal come in after 25 years of abuse in her home. She was able to get out of her home. So um, she actually grew up in an abusive home, which which was uh, a bit terrifying. Um, there was a gal who came on really, really great story about, um, you know, the human experience is her struggle. Being human is her struggle. It's just, that's how it is, which I, I think that's really a neat perspective. Um, you know, I've, I've had people who grew up without fathers. I've had, uh, fathers that were narcissists. I had a gal on uh, with a traumatic brain injury, like you were talking about on the podcast. And um, so at the end of the day, uh, I also had, um, you know, a struggle that I, you know, a lot of us, I don't think, think of struggle as someone. So let's say your husband or wife or family member gets a, a terminal illness or something like that. You go through a struggle too, but we don't talk about it. And so I actually had a gal come on, her husband had cancer and and her struggle was literally his cancer and how it impacted her. And I think that's important. So really the point of the podcast is, is to show that 
We are all human and regardless of our capacity are all deserving of the human experience. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I do thank you for doing this. This was fun. Um, before I end it, I'll let you know, I'll talk to you off air, but after, but, um, yeah, like I said, this was fun. I will, uh, put your, when you send me the link, I'll, when I put the episode, I'll put your podcast in the description and, uh, yeah, like I said, we got to stick together. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah.